Yo, we break records while we pushing the culture forward. Great music and big vibes right in that order. Talent gets you here, but your story make you stand out. Rooted from the source, so it's knowledge that we pass out. Gotta turn your dial to 108.1. Let's nerd DJs while I ride in the sun. Jobs gon' speak the real like you suppose. DJ Shiny Shine always keep Mondays on the road. Various topics get discussed more frequently. We keep an open mind, you can learn something easily. Make sure you tune in and stay up to date. And submit your music again for that radio play. You can also get an interview if it's approved. Hit that link in the bio, we'll get to you soon. Intellectually petty radio on your stereo. Don't compare us to anything, this is a different scenario. We break records while we pushing the culture forward. And you are now tuned into another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio, brought to you by M3S3 Clothing, Men Make Moves and Suckers Stand Still, and live on NerfDJsRadio.com. Shout out to you. Hopefully, we can make your day just a little bit better. Um, And we have another phenomenal guest tonight. I want to welcome to the platform, Dr. Tiffany Cook. How you doing, Queen? I'm doing well. Happy um, happy Thursday, everyone. Happy Thursday to you. How's life? How's your family? Thank God we all have been okay. Um, everybody's been safe, uh, safe and sane. Um, so I am so thankful for that. Um, How about thumb, yours? Your thumb is on the camera. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so we have been all we have all been safe and sane. I mean, I'm thankful for that. That's what's up. Um, and, and thank you for asking. I'm doing well. My family's doing well. We got no complaints. Um, Dr. Tiffany Cook. That just sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> it depends on the day. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. It depends on the day. Uh, but for, for most day, for most days, it's okay. So let, let mm. how long have you known you wanted to be a doctor? So I have to be honest with you. I really didn't know. Um so it's you know sometimes things happen in life and a lot of mm-hmm. things happen my way and I think God puts that in your path because He is forcing you to go down um, a road and so basically I started out as a patient I was um, diagnosed when I was twelve with uh, type one diabetes um, mm-hmm. yeah it's, uh, really really sick it was kind of like like life changing my whole life just kind of uprooted um, all of this like lifestyle cultural change for me. Um, and I just had to go with it. And I just remember being really sick. I was in ICU for like a week. I mean, wow. a good week. Yeah, really, really sick. I was probably, I was very close looking back. It's like diabetic coma, like being uptunded. I'm very, very close to that. Um, and I remember like, I was so fascinated by the concept that this like sick girl um, came into this um, facility and I was able to walk out, you know, still with fear and um, still uncertain about a lot of things, but I was able to walk out a better and healthier person and that just amazed me so that's when i knew i wanted to get in medicine in some um shape or form wow that's mm-hmm. incredible um i'm a nurse mm-hmm. um and i it was not what i started out wanting to be my mother pretty much was like go to nursing school or get out yeah <laughs> <laughs> these are your options well I, you know i was making very bad life choices yeah at the time yeah and it was the one of the best gifts she ever gave me yeah I, I can say the same. I didn't. I, initially, I thought I was going to. I wanted to be a nurse because that's. And honestly, when you're in a room, when you're in a hospital, you're spending most of your time with your nurses. That's who you're spending a lot of the time with. So initially, I thought I wanted to be a nurse, 
And then my dad, God bless his soul, um, he would always like nudge me and say, hey, you know what? You, you know, Dr. Cook, you know, Dr. Cook, you know, this is what you, Dr. Cook. And that he was, a, I have to say, the forefront of mm-hmm. me even uh, thinking that that was a possibility because I didn't grow up seeing black doctors. You know, I didn't, you know, you said, I mean, you don't see it. And I just, one of the things I do want to emphasize on this, this show today, mm-hmm. we got to start showing our kids possibilities. Um, and it's up to us to do that. Um, we got to teach them to go beyond their zip codes, but beyond what's in front of them to see what's out there. And if you have these role models and mentors, it just opens up a different facet. So for me, it was my dad. Like I knew mm-hmm. I was always smart. I can say that. And I knew I wanted to go into science and I tried engineering and I went back to nursing. I didn't like engineering. And my dad kind of said, I'm going to get a doctorate, a doctorate in nursing. And my dad kind of was like, well, why can't you do that? Why don't you want to be a doctor, Pooh? My nickname is Pooh. Why don't you want to be a doctor, Pooh? And I just come, he, once he said that, I, was, I just took off with it. Okay. So, so were you in college at the time? No, this is probably like at the end of like high school, um, like end of high school, going into college, kind of deciding what I wanted to do. And every okay. summer, my every summer, my parents had us do like um, a program. You wasn't gonna, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't just gonna sit at home and do nothing. So you either had to do a program. So we always did either um, like I did a couple of engineering programs in the summer. I did a couple of like shadowing the nurses and things like that, just for exposure. Um, and then I was able to kind of rule things out based on that. Um, and then I was into high school, kind of deciding what I wanted to do, whether mm-hmm. pharmacy, nursing, engineering. I kind of went back and forth. And then I ended up just, I'm deciding to go um, pre-med in college. And what college did you go to? Yeah, I went to, not a choice. Not, uh, I went to all-girl uh, Catholic college, uh, the College of St. Elizabeth. Shout out to St. E's. Um, so very, very small, all-girl Catholic college. Um in Morristown, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that wasn't a choice either. I mean, God does things for you sometimes. And you don't realize, again, if he wants you to go one way, that door is not going to close. And if something's not for you, it's not going to no. open either. That's just been my life experience. So okay. that wasn't a choice either. Basically, they almost, I got a, a almost full scholarship there. My mom and dad said, listen, we're not taking on student loans. We got my, my brother, you know, Mr. Urban Sports. And then my sister behind me, we got two other kids here. So if you want to do something with your life, this is where you're going. I didn't have a choice. It, was, it wasn't many choices in my home. And I thank God for that. Culturally, that had to be different. It, it was. And I will say that was a, probably the first time in my life where I had almost a, a culture shock. So I grew up uh, right outside of Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the high school I went to was in Newark, New Jersey. My church was in Newark, New Jersey. My family, Newark, New Jersey. So everything for me was I'm Newark. And this was the first time in college where it was a little bit of, of a role reversal. Like I was the one um, that looked different. Um, the only like African-American in my, um, I, I maybe had another one. But only African American in the end, like going through all four years in my classes, um, there wasn't many people that looked like me. Yo, that was crazy. Like I'm from Detroit, which mm-hmm. is like far as major cities, probably the most segregated in favor of black people in this country. And when I went to to especially when I went to Michigan State, and you walk into uh, an auditorium classroom, there's five hundred people in this classroom, and there's like three black people. It is. It is. That shit was a kick in the teeth. It is. And it's like, you don't want to, um, you come in with your own perceptions, um, yeah. and your own culture. And I will say that like, one thing I have never done, um, um, from college to med school to even now as a physician, like I still write, you know, I have my braids in, I, I will round with my converses on. I don't change who I am, what, you know, and I, and I think people respect you for that. And it just mm-hmm. puts it out there. I don't think you ever have to change who you are. And that's one thing I did even in comedy. I was only one with my, like, you know, my little scarf on and, my overalls, but that was just who, you know, who Looney Tunes t-shirts. That was that was Tiffany at that time, and I never had to change myself. I never changed for for that for the environment around me. I feel that that strength right there. I had to prove now myself. I had to prove myself, but I never changed myself. 
That's understandable. Mm-hmm. So what med school did you go to? And then I went to end up leaving um, the College of St. Elizabeth. It was an awesome experience. Um, a lot of good mentors, a lot of blessings out of that situation. Ended okay. up going to um, Robert Wood Johnson Med School, which is now Rutgers Med School um, wow. in New Brunswick, Piscataway. That's fancy. Mm-hmm. It was a great That's school. Really uh, it was great. That's really fancy, though. Rutgers? Mm-hmm. Rutgers Med School. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was Robert Wood Johnson, but now it's Rutgers. They changed the name. It's Rutgers. It's the same Rutgers Med School now, but Robert Wood Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was that like? Same thing? You, I felt, or, you know or, what? Or so, no, I will tell you this. So um, that they really put an emphasis on trying to really diversify our classes. Um, there. Okay. I ended up doing like a, um, a summer program before you start med school, just kind of go and get like a month program with other um, students of color, of, of disadvantaged backgrounds, just to kind of get a head start in the classes. And that was more, if anything for me, as forming a bond in the family and community. And community is so important in anything that we do, what you do. So I really felt comfortable there. I really did. Um, I actually had fun in med school. A lot of people say I had a lot of fun. Med school was probably my best four years as far as having fun. Really? Learning, like, you know, socializing, um, networking, finding out more about yourself, seeing some of the disparities firsthand, really putting all the knowledge that you learned in college. Like, you know, this is like, you know, everything that you've learned, like, and I did very, I had like a, I, I did like a, like a, a 3.979 GPA, maybe. I did really wow. well in college. And um, uh, I, I was a time for me to apply what I knew. And I had built so much confidence up from this um, all girls, like Catholic college in regards to myself, my leadership abilities, how to communicate, how to advocate, mm-hmm. that I felt prepared for med school coming in. Um, so I actually had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I had a lot of fun. It was a, a well, like diversified um, student population, especially you can for med school. So like the higher you up you get. Um, so, was there a moment during med school where you, where you were like, I, I belong here, or had, did you know going just instantly? I, I really wasn't looking for it. That's the difference. So once I got to that point, I wasn't really looking for a sense of um, belonging. Okay. I was looking for a sense of, hey, you know what, Tiffany, this is the challenge before you. God, you know, mm-hmm. God is in front of me. I got my family. Let's do this. That I, I wasn't really looking for uh, anyone to accept me or a sense of belonging. At that point in time, I, that had already been instilled in me. Like, you're good enough for this. Like, you belong here. You can do this. So it was more of a matter for me kind of just running that marathon, how to train myself to run a marathon when you're not a runner. Because that, that, a learner and that curve is so much. It's just mm-hmm. so much. It's so fast that it's more of how, how to run this marathon, how to train for it. Um, but I had a great support system. All my close friends from med school, I'm still like really good close friend, friends with now. Um, and when one person had a strength, somebody else had a weakness, we would balance each, balance each other out. So that's where I really learned the importance, again, of community. Um, mm-hmm. And it means so much. And shout out to your parents. Like the, and it's not just you, because I know Nate, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same personality I, I, type to, it, to an extent. Say it again. Same personality. Absolutely. Yeah. That's my little brother. I know you guys call him um, Nate. I call him Maine. But we all grew up in the same house. You know, like I said, and I think this is where we have to continue to go back and um, share our stories, stories, mm-hmm. the truths um, and the reality of it. And share this with the younger generation because it's not about me. Right. I'm I'm 40. Uh, you know, so it's not, it's not about me at this point in time. It's about those my niece in front of me. It's about the people who need to see this and hear these stories that good things come out of. Um, disadvantaged situations and not ideal situations. And this is kind of where I do think that um, people and, and children specifically as a pediatrician, I'm a pediatrician, need advocates. They need, they need liaisons to help them navigate this system. Um, and I was blessed enough to have uh, you know some disparities, but then the support of my church and my family kind of balanced that out so that all the negative things that were happening, they were like, 
times two that more positive things going on in my head and my mind. And that's kind of where the zip codes come in, all those things, letting your kids see beyond where they're growing up because there's a world beyond that and they can have that if they see that and know about it. Okay, is that another elbow? Oh, this is my niece, Alexa. I'm, I'm just, just a, yeah, this is my niece, Alexa. She's um, like, am I tripping? Yeah, no, this is my niece. I'm, she, I'm watching her for like, um, for about a, that's dope. But yeah, th this is that community sense too, like stepping in. So, yeah, yeah, that's well, love right five days, right? So, you so yeah, so maybe five days total. We're down to three days now. You got two more days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, in med school, at what point is it? Is it you're in the hospital as well as school. Like, like I forget what they call it. when you're a med student, but you're in in the hospital actually doing some things. Yeah, like your clinical. Like what year is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so that? third year. So it's your third, year. Your third okay. year. It's your third year. So it's um your first two years are really didactic. So it's more mm -hmm. of your learning things like that, mm -hmm. and then um you take it like on your third year into like your rotations where you have mandatory rotations, and then you have what we call electives things that you can opt to do later on. Um, and that's kind of where you learn like that true patient care, you're applying that knowledge um, and doing those things. Okay, so I remember in nursing school, mm -hmm. there was a patient with a really, really, really bad bed sore. Mm -hmm. You can see their bone. Mm -hmm. um, and it was freaking some of my my, my students and co-students, whatever you want to call it, my colleagues. Mm -hmm. It's freaking them out. Mm -hmm. At that point, I kind of realized, man, I can pretty much do anything because it didn't bother me. Yeah. At what point in the hospital were you like, man, I can do pretty much anything because this does not bother me? I'm sorry, it's my dog in the background. You take Shout out to your dog. Yeah. Um, so, you know <laughs> what? Yeah, I think that because um, there's definitely microaggressions that you face, like, you know, when you're around in, um, not everybody is, is open to diversity and man. what a doctor looks like. So mm -hmm. I think that after a certain amount of time, like once I like passed a certain rotation, I was kind of like, if I can handle all these microaggressions and kind of what you think um, a doctor should look like or be from or your perceptions of what that may be, then I was like, I'm ready for anything. I, it wasn't really like, a, I'm not gory like that. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I, um, I'm I, okay with like, you know, like suturing, being in an OR, I'm okay with like trauma. So those things weren't really... Um, like impacted me. It was more, I would say, once I got through, like, hey, I, I managed this rotation. I did it my way. Um, I did it being who I am. Um, and I proved that, you know, I, I that I deserve to be here. Then I knew I could really handle anything. Um, I will say that I did handle some really, like, tough cases, like, uh, or helped to assist in some tough cases in the ICU. And mm -hmm. then that was uh, one of those experiences where it was like, you know what, if you conquer, like, these things and you understand these things and, you know, the world is yours. You can kind of really do what you want to do. Um, Yo, that's a lot of responsibility in a code as a doctor. Yeah. Say it again. I'm sorry. That's a lot of responsibility in a code as a doctor. It is. It is. Uh, how do you deal with that? Because like you, you know, like you, it, the, the buck stops with you. Like right. a nurse is doing what you're telling them to do. Right. Well, you know, with that being said, everything is about um, community. Um, and I will say that. So with that being said, you're 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 the one leading for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, but there's always somebody else confirming. You have to get that kind of get that concept through your head, too. So you're leading, you're kind of going through the algorithms, but you're confirming, you're recalling. There's closed closed loop communication to confirm dosages. And you're human, too. So the first thing I always say is you make sure you check your own pulse, make sure you're OK. And then you can kind of go in and, and save somebody else's life. The first thing is saying, making sure, hey, am I okay? Do I have myself together? Then it's kind of, you know, kind of coming up with your algorithms and making sure you recall those things. And do you hope you have a team too to back you up? So I may be shouting at a medication like a dose of epi, 
Mm -hmm. uh, but then somebody else is making so Dr. Cook, is that the right dose? Are you sure you want that? Let's confirm it. So you have a backup system um, in medicine. So it's, I think that I think the culture of medicine has changed a little bit in that sense as well. So there's always somebody um, there to assist and, and to, to back you up. If I write a medical order in the like EMR for a patient, and you know, I don't. I, I'm half. I made, I'm making. I made a mistake, and I I missed that. There's a mm -hmm. pharmacist looking at that order. There's a nurse mm -hmm. looking at that order before they give it. So there's a a t like a layer system here. So I think the the culture of medicine has definitely um changed somewhat, and I think the the culture of actually asking for help too. Like, hey, like I am yes. not at my best today. I am going through some things. Um, I may need your help. Um, and putting that out there and being vulnerable says a lot too. So, and if you don't know something. That's where you kind of get your consults and things like that involved as well. So that the culture of medicine, I think, has changed a lot in regards to like having to be that superhero. So, you know, you being a leader and sometimes being vulnerable makes you more of a leader and transparent. And patients actually um, and parents really respect that. that. Yeah. And I think the the community, the physicians as a whole have 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 matured over the years to realize that we need them as opposed to they work for us. Absolutely. It's a team effort. I, 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 Absolutely. I, I, nothing, nothing. Um, like I said, when I was 12, when I was sick, the person who I saw the most in that room were, were the nurses as far as education and the mm -hmm. time and the picking up. So they let me know what's going on in regards to an abnormal vital sign or, hey, Dr. Cook, something's just not right. Do you want to come back? Like, you know, let's, let's think about this again. Are we missing something? So you're only as good as your team. And I, I can never do what I do without my team. So at what point did you decide to be a pediatrician? Uh, that actually, that's not, I didn't decide that either. See, none of this, see, that's what I'm none of this was a decision. <laughs> everything, everything in life, I'm telling you, has just been kind. Of, that's why my faith system is so strong because mm -hmm. um, everything I've done so far has not really been uh, my my epiphany. It's been like, well, God has like has put this out there, and I guess you want me to go through this door. So, um, so what happened is that so in med school during your third year, you go through these rotations. Like there are six or seven that you have to go through, like psychiatry, surgery, internal medicine, pediatrics, family medicine. You got to do, you have to do these without a doubt to, to pass. So I ended up starting out with OBGYN and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Um, everybody seemed like miserable. Um, I didn't have the best like instructors at that time too. And your instructors are everything in regards yes. to your rotation. So yes. it was my first rotation, first clinical. It was a horrible traumatic experience. I was like, I'm not doing this. So I remember I was going through each rotation. I was getting towards the end of the year. And I said to my mom, I said, well, you know, I'm getting down to the end of the year. I'm not really excited about anything here. I'm too like deep in this to like say, you know, you know, peace out. I'm, I'm not really finding any joy. So pediatrics was my last rotation. And that was the first rotation where I, I actually was happy to um, knock on the door and see some kid in some format and some parent waiting for me. I, I was excited to round on them in the hospital. I was excited to learn about it. So I knew that was um, a good fit. It was my last rotation. I was like, oh my gosh, I was starting to panic. What am I going to do? Um, and God was like, kind of hold back, chill out, Tiff. Like I got something else um, coming up. So that's probably the hardest. That's probably the hardest job, you know, outside of maybe like oncology or mm -hmm. you know, something like that. But man, because so telling a parent their kid is sick, I mean, like really not not like they got the flu or, you know, right. something they can go home and take care of. But right. telling, telling the parent that their kid is it may not make it till next year. It is tough. It is tough. I will say that, you know, so when I think about pediatrics, you have the you have the your pediatric patient in front of you, but you also have two patients. You got a parent too. So that's the double win with pediatrics. It's not just a patient, you got two patients in front of you. Um, and oftentimes they're not on the same page. So with that being said, that makes it a little bit challenging. Mm -hmm. But kids are really resilient. I will say that you do have your um 
you know, your, your rarities and things like that. But kids typically are really resilient and, and bouncing back and uh, finding a fortitude to recover for the most part. Now, obviously, you do have your um, oncology patients. You do have your rheumatology patients. You have, you know, you have some kids who just, for whatever reason, you know, it could be asthma, things like that. So there's not necessarily a certain diagnosis that goes with it. But for the most part, kids are resilient. Um, and then kids are actually really genuine. Like, yeah, that's the one thing I love about pediatrics. They're going to tell you how they feel. You're going to know if they like you. There's no mind games. <laughs> and you have to work for their trust. You have to work for their trust. Yeah. So when I get a card saying, like, you know, thank you, Dr. Cook, or I get a high five when I'm leaving out, leaving the hospital, that makes my day. Or when I have a, you know, a, a kid come, come, I see a kid, like, you know, at Starbucks, and they give me a hug, that makes my day. Um, if I can get a kid to, you know, look me in the eye and, um, let me listen to them. That makes my day. So those are the little small wins that over time mm -hmm. add up to the big wins. When was the last time a patient made you cry? Maybe about four months ago. Oh, no, 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 no. I just recently, no, probably about, about a month ago. Um, I had a very sad case uh, that a patient that was seen at our hospital. Um, mm -hmm. that the, I think the kiddo is doing okay, but it was just um, unfortunate. Um what happened to that kid? So yeah, probably about a month ago. But you get attached. You you know, it doesn't have to be your patient. It could be somebody who, um, you just happen to like maybe you know take care of overnight work. Because I do I do hospital based medicine, so I work in the hospital, mm -hmm. uh, day shifts. I do newborn nursery and I do ER. So I do a little bit of everything. Um, so it could be somebody that you just happen to like get signed out from from your colleague. It could be somebody that you've taken care of in the past. You do get attached. Um, you get attached to the to the, to the families. You really do. People don't realize how how difficult it is to not take the job home with you. I agree. I agree. How, how, what do you do to separate the two? Yeah. So um, I do a little bit of everything. So I um, tend to uh, be very um, like social in my, in my everyday life. I mean, social meaning like I like to like um, do dinner. I like to do happy hours. I like to... Um, like go for walks. I like to work out. I work out probably about four days a week. Um, so in that sense, I'm always engaging with different people from different settings. I also do Bible study when I can um, every week. I, um, I'm i a skincare consultant. Um, so I, you know, I work on, I have a, a independent like, a business on the side. So I try to uh, keep my mind uh, very occupied because it can be a very, and it's a very thin line. Like I have to sometimes mm -hmm. call myself one of like, Tiffany, put down the phone, you're not going to check Epic. You're not going to, you know, you left work, you're going to leave it there. So I'm learning. It's, that comes with age, right? With wisdom, age comes wisdom. I'm learning to um, be in the moment and um, do the best I can in that moment and then pass it on to my colleague, give my sign out um, and not uh, bring it home as much because it, it can be very tricky. You can get very um, yeah. intertwined where you're constantly looking at your phone. Um, now, I will tell you, I am the kind of physician that I will call the nurse's station saying, hey, how's this kid doing? Or I saw this kid was transferred. What's going on? But that's because I care. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I try to keep myself engaged in a lot of community service stuff. I, I am a big um, um, component of advocacy, trying to do work with disparities. So I'm, I'm doing a lot right now. I'm back in school. I'm doing a lot of stuff. You back in school again? What you going to school for this time? Um, yeah. So I um, just started a fellowship with Temple. Um, I'm getting a master's in urban bioethics, and I'm really excited about that. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. So <laughs> you're funny. So uh, <laughs> look, so I'm no, I'm no genius over here. Yeah. No, you're okay. So basically, it's um, looking at how um, areas of uh, of dense um, areas of areas of disparity um, mm -hmm. in urban communities. How things like healthcare, science, technology, 
um, may be delivered and is it just, is it equal, is it equitable? So you're looking at the, the problems of the urban setting um, and looking at these problems and saying, are these things ethical? Is it fair? Um, and then looking at the systematic um, and macro kind of solutions to those. So it looks at the social determinants of health, like where you live at, where you get where you get, go to school at, um, things like that. And then it looks at um, trauma, trauma-informed care, trauma-based care. It puts all these things into um, actuation in front of you to kind of help you decide, you know, look, what can we do about this problem? These healthcare, healthcare disparities exist because they, these certain elements in, this, in these communities. You know what I found difficult over the years sometimes mm -hmm. is is the burden that black folks carry in the healthcare industry of, of erasing the ignorance of our counterparts. Mm -hmm. You see somebody, you know, you see a sister doing this. Well, I know what the hell that is, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah. they think she's crazy. Yeah. So now I got to explain this and break it all the way down. And, and oh, but you after you do that 10 times a week, 100 times a month or whatever the case, sometimes it gets a little tiring. You ever, you, do you ever feel like we, sh you know, like you get frustrated with that? I, I think as long as you're having a, a con I think that's an opportunity to actually engage. So I see mm -hmm. it the, the opposite way. So even though there are definitely, um, you know, things like cultural humility, um, you know, being informed in regards to um, aware of different cultures, these things aren't uniform depending on where you are in your environment. And I, mm -hmm. I try to take every opportunity as opportunity of engagement. So if there is like a conversation like we talked about earlier, hey, like, you know, that, you know, what's going on in Philly? Well, what do you mean what's going on in Philly? What are you hearing? And it's that kind of opening those doors. And, you know, so anytime I can get a conversation going to engage someone, um, that's I see that as an opportunity for engagement. I kind of see that on a different, if you're curious enough to ask about it and listen, that's an opportunity for me to inform you and teach. And it's, it's it's a little different though coming mm. from a doctor, you know. Um, when a nurse is speaking to another nurse, that other nurse may not really listen to you. When a doctor is speaking to another nurse, that other nurse really doesn't have much of a choice. It depends. It depends. I feel like you know. I think that that could be a, a two sided um, type of argument. I think that depending on what that doctor looks like, um, mm -hmm. kind of, I'm um, definitely kind of can shape uh, how information is received yes. um depend depend on what that person is like it you know some term people you're just not going to reach and that's just what it right. is you know you can talk to them to square in the face all day you know five years and it's just kind of where they are your job is to really try to reach, reach people who kind of in the middle like they just aren't you know they just don't know kind of curious kind of going off what they've been known but open mm -hmm. open to learning so certain people like you're not going to reach like that's like wasted energy but your job is to really kind of transform and kind of see how you can um navigate to the people who or maybe in the middle, more of a kind of making more moves. So that little girl out there who's, let's say she's 12 years old, mm -hmm. just like you were, mm -hmm. and the light just went off in her head. She wants to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. What's the, the best advice you can give her to start her journey? Start networking right now. I would say start networking. Um, really? At 12? Yes. That means shadowing. That means reaching out to her pediatrician. That means reach. Yes. That means reaching, reaching out to her school nurse, putting herself out there, letting them know like this is what I want to do. This is why who, who I want to be. How can you help me? I, absolutely. It's never too early. It's never too early. Absolutely. Man, my, excuse me. My middle daughter wanted to be a physician her whole life until mm -hmm. she got to college. Okay. <laughs> when she got to college, she was like, I'm, I'm, Dad, I don't want to. Sweetie, you sure? No, I don't want to do this. 
Yeah. And I was I was a little I was a little heartbroken because I thought that it was initially I thought it was a, a, a college is too difficult decision, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It was a I'm a woman now and I've made a choice for myself. That's the best thing for me. And well, once I, I realized that I had, you know, my I, I would not no longer disappointed. No, and with that being said, too, like I'm just figuring this thing out. I don't know about you, but like I'm just figuring this stuff out now. So even though I I, I went to medicine, mm-hmm. then like about four, maybe four years ago, I got my I went to school to get my MBA because I thought I wanted to do more administration. I thought that's what I wanted to do, um, what I was focused on doing. And then um, maybe you just the, like school. No, <laughs> I'm done, no, no, no. This is it. This is it because this is what this is what my passions are. I'm very um, passionate about. Um, working on how we how do we make things more equitable, more just, um, and mm-hmm. it just it starts with your community where you live at. Like that's a large part of your healthcare. So for me, this opportunity came across, and um, I said I'm gonna go for it because I feel like this is kind of where God wants me to be. Um, and this is I think this is the reason why He had me go to med school, well to this all girl college, and then to med school, and then to pediatrics, and doing this journey. Like it's a reason for it. So um, what I'm getting ready to study now, my first class was on Monday. It's past Monday. Um, mm. It's exactly what I want to do. Like back in, back into the community health, being in the community. Um, and you have to be in the community. You can't do this kind of work from the sidelines. Like you really have to be like in it. So I really want to get to know um, that part of Philly. Um, I got to really get to know and be into the community to figure out what the needs are and, and start with them first. Like what are the issues from their perspective, their lens, because that's how you engage the community. And that's where you start in regards to your problem solving. Cause we think we know and we don't. Okay. Now, Mm-hmm. For those people that don't know, mm-hmm. let, me, let me make sure I get this correct. These are the steps: um, med school, med student, um, intern, mm-hmm. resident, fellow, if, if you choose to be, mm-hmm. and then staff. Correct? Yeah, correct. So med school, residency. If you want to do a fellow, if you want to specialize in something like um, cardiology, GI, rheumatology, then you're going to do a fellowship for more training. And then after you do that, you're in attending, um, where you become attending or staff at a clinic or hospital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know what I have not been able to find, at least in the Cleveland area, is a black cardiologist. And I have been looking. Hmm. Okay. So if you okay. happen to come across any in the Cleveland area, even Akron, Ohio, mm-hmm. please let me know. Awesome. It's just a certain level of comfortability. I feel like... Um, Nothing against the physician, the physicians I have, they've been mm-hmm. great, you know, but it's just those little things that I feel like you you can see yourself in me and that makes you go that extra mile. I'm not just a task. Yeah. Or like a, a checkbox. Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, studies have shown that in regards to uh, compliance, in regards to um, trust, like it does make a difference in re- relatability. It does make a difference in outcome. So... I'm not surprised to hear that. There are definitely um, studies that support that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had surgery a couple of years ago. Okay. And I've I've yet to see the surgeon after the surgery. Yeah. This yeah. asshole didn't come by and say, hey, you're still living. I'm great. I'm God. Nothing. I'm, and I complained to holy hell to everybody in this hospital, including his nurse practitioner, who I had to go see for months after the surgery, who was phenomenal. I'll, I'll give her that. Yeah, She yeah. really was phenomenal. But I, I'm still offended by that, you know, and, and that's something that I don't care what you look like. You should never experience that. I agree. No, I agree. But the basic standard of care, I, you know, with that being said, I think that you, you, you bring about a valid point. Mm-hmm. I think that um, 
if we kind of as a society place more emphasis to on uh, like patient perspective in that, in that sense, um, mm-hmm. and that was uh, indicative of patient experience was indicative of reimbursement. Mm-hmm. I think that you might have a, a, a change in model and, and practice improvement there. Um, but, you know, with, with that being said, the way our system is right now, you know, it's, it doesn't work that way. But I think that if you had a, a we had a, a system where that was, that wasn't, that was kind of indicative of how much you were getting reimbursed. I think you would see a lot, a lot of different changes there. That's important to me, bedside manner. Like I've been a doc, mm-hmm. you know, patient all my life. And for me, even my primary care doctor, like I like to, the fact that I can reach out to him. He can take me off the ledge. He can calm me down. I, you know, I have access to him. He gets back to me. To me, that is a relationship and it, it, it's a relationship. So to me, like that relationship is very important and, and intimate. Do you, do you think you're, you're getting the benefit of the doubt because of what you do or do you just have a good doctor? I think so. I think that goes so. I, so with that being said, I don't think that he gives his uh, cell phone number out to everyone. Um, but I will say, but I, but, I, but what I will say is, um, I, I, he's a, a good doctor because even as a, as me being a physician, I could get be very like A to Z, like oh my gosh, you know what I'm saying? I need this and this and this. And he's like, Tiff, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're going to start from here. We're going to work our way up. So I think that that's what makes a good physician. Mm-hmm. To me, a good physician is somebody that communicates their thought process, that is sparing you exposure and calls, and also being an advocate for you when you can't be an advocate for yourself. So I'm a physician, but I'm still human. I still get scared. So, with that being said, um, I can reach out to him. He brings me. He go, brings me off the ledge. And I will say that the other patients when I'm in the ER that um, go to him um, also have good things to say. So I think it's around the board. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Dr. Cook mm-hmm. becomes the CEO of whatever hospital you work in at. Mm-hmm. What are the first three things you change? That's a great question. Um, I think I would change number one, probably the um, amount of uh, investment that we have on like translational services. I think that we need far more uh, interpreters um, um, of, of, of various like backgrounds. I think that's mm-hmm. what you need in regards to how you deliver care. Mm-hmm. Two, I think that I would probably have um, more of the hospital uh, leadership and staff look a little bit more like uh, some some other people in the community. So I think that's important too, like having your um, hospital look be, be indicative of the community you're serving. So I probably would do that. Um, and one more, I'm trying to think. I probably would probably do more, honestly, more community outreach, like put more focus on um, community interventions and measuring those interventions in the community, like having community members at the table as a stakeholder in conversations that are being made about what's going on with the hospital, things like that. Like, I think every board, every meeting you have should have a community member at that, at that present at that table. And 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 let me add just this yep. my two cents to that. Yep. Not, not the community member that lives on the fringes of the community that's a millionaire. I'm talking about the dude that drives a fucking bus. Absolutely. Oh, the sister absolutely. that's a STNA. You know, the, the real community. Absolutely. Because what they what they do is they'll say, oh, well, we have community members. No, right. you, you got right. rich people on the board who haven't been in the community right. since they were 20. I'm talking about the, the people that's in the quote unquote North, North Philadelphia's or West Philadelphia's in these um these areas. Yes, absolutely. I think that you need to have community representation across the board. Um and I think on both cases, I think you need to have representation in all classes, all uh, economic backgrounds, because things affect different things. You can't and and, and and unfortunately the cash flow is that um everything requires money and everything is about like financial um just being fiscal financially. So that's just kind of how this system works right now. So you have to be like mindful of what you're doing, the expenditure, and do things that's not going to expend too much 
um, of your, your budget, but the same thing give you the most outcomes. Um, and with that being said, when you're going on to doing these things, we need to ask the community what they need, what they think. Um, and is, and it, is it a value to them? Because if it's a value to me, and I'm mm -hmm. learning that too, like a lot of my um, projects I'm doing, if, it's, if I care about it, but you don't, then this whole thing is a waste of time. You, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm learning how to engage them too, how to um, get their feedback and then how to also value them as stakeholders. So like for their time and things like that. So and what they have to offer to the table. So um, it's a two-way street. And eventually that's where you kind of get that trust, right? So it's that initial conversation, these relationships forming this trust, and then you get these bonds and then um, reciprocity both ways. So that's how that works. So what are young parents nowadays concerned about with their children? Yeah, um, I would say the probably most young and old. Um, the top things are probably um, like Dr. Cook. I probably I want to try to uh, breastfeed. Breastfeed my kid. Breastfeeding is I think um, becoming more and more. Um, and it should be. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding if you can. Uh, more and more um, of a, a, at the forefront because there's so many benefits to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that's probably one thing. The next um, thing is probably um, COVID exposures for the newborn. Like, what do we do when we go home? How, how do we, you know, what do we, how do we control who, who are, who's visiting, who's not? Um, other things I would think about is really mental. Like our mental health is not really great right now. Um, to be honest with you, behavior health um, resources are at an all-time like low. And um, after the pandemic, uh, there's been a lot of like, you look at the ER, the waiting times for transfers for mental health services um, is through the roof and pediatrics is not excluded from that. So a lot of families are, and parents are worried about their um, kids' anxiety, their depression. Um, they don't want to go to school. Um, they don't know how to interact in school. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. Um, outbursts. Um, you know, so those things are, are very much, it's, it's, probably, it's a public health crisis at this point. It's just so prevalent. Um, that behavioral mental health is probably one of the top things that parents are concerned about. Are they getting bullied? You know, you know, all those things. I think like with the mental health thing, like, like mm -hmm. it, I don't want to say thing, sound dismissive, but with mental health, I think the pendulum swung too far because mm -hmm. we used to have huge facilities mm -hmm. where, um, and, and God rest in peace, my grandma, but she had some mental issues and she had mm -hmm. to go to a facility. Mm -hmm. The facility was like prison. Yeah. It went from having huge, horrible facilities to absolutely nothing. Yeah. And we didn't, there was no transition. There's no, you know, much of a community based. I agree. Something. I agree. Like, There's no resources. How, as, yeah. As a community, what can we do to help? Yeah. Um, I, so I think this is kind of, it's different levels and systems to this. So as, a, mm -hmm. as you're in your local um, community, like in your local surroundings, the first thing is like, in your own way, you kind of screening for things. You kind of being in the lookout as far as anything that may sound kind of abnormal, any clues, any inconsistencies, and then also in your own home making it a norm. Like mental health is not a hush hush thing, and it's it's something that affects us all, no matter what race you are, how much money you make, your education status. So I think right now in this society, it's almost like, well, it can't happen here, or not me, or yeah, that's crazy. I think in our own homes, we need to normalize. Like, you know, are you feeling sad and why? Are you scared? Are you anxious? Are you sad? So normalization of it in our own communities is a first step. I mean, then from a macro level and recognizing it, like, hey, you know, Uncle Bill may have an issue here. And, yeah. and being transparent about that. I think a lot of times, especially in the Black community, it's almost a hush-hush thing. It's a, something you're ashamed of. And we're all going through our own battles. I'm a huge proponent of being transparent. And part of the problems that we have right now is that we haven't been transparent for so long and we do need help because um, we are human. 
Um, and then from a macro system level, I think it's more putting emphasis. Like right now, I feel like the medical system, unfortunately, doesn't put a lot of emphasis on primary care. It just doesn't. Um, and I, as far as reimbursement, the value of it, and we need to put uh, go back and put like emphasis on that. Uh, on that. So, excuse mm-hmm. me one second. Go, go ahead. Go ahead a moment. You're going to keep talking. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we don't. We need to put. We need to put emphasis on that value, and and, and it starts there. I feel like you know, when you're in med schools and all these like surgeries and specialists, and it's all about revenue and money. And yeah. if we value some of the most important things, which is primary care and behavioral health, psychiatry is one of them. Um, I think we'd be all. We'd, we'd be a lot better off, to be honest with you. But our values are in the wrong place. Yeah, they they need us to come back to the hospital so they fix just enough to get you okay. Yep. But not enough to keep you away. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, I agree. I think. Holy- that, with that being said, that you, and it's also the infrastructure of building more facilities. But in order to build them, you have to have staff, right? Yeah. And then now with the pandemic, uh, you know, going on like everywhere, you know, you know, in the medical system, it's everybody's short staff. So it's just a. Um, they're gonna to have to do something in regards to how to recruit and retain um, into these uh, professions, um, and then how to value them so they want to stay there. That and is, then, that's um, the key right there: valuing mm-hmm. the, the employees. Um, and, I, and I can speak personally to nurses. Mm-hmm. They 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 say people don't want to be a nurse. No, no, there's no good reason to be a nurse. Like there, you you know, you yep. used to could sit down with your patient, give them some time, energy, learn about them, their yep. family, their story. Now it's documentation is first, yep. and everything else is second because documentation is what gets us paid. And right. if you got two minutes with that patient, you're supposed to be able to do thirty-seven different things. Yeah, it's um, all about, it's all about revenue. Yeah, medicine aside, let's, let's talk about. You said you got your side hustle, the skincare. What's yes. the name of uh, your, your products? So that was, um, I had to go through the journey of that though. Cause that was, that, that was for me, like I was in a pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. Your skin is I, popping by the way, it's looking great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, um, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. I, um, cause I was in a, like a situation where I was just feeling burnt out. Um, and I think that honestly, like everybody feels as though it's my personal opinion on this. People think that if like, if you're um, somehow, like if you're a black female, you have it all together and you're just so strong. And sometimes like, you're not like you, sometimes you're like, I'm just like, you're just barely making it. Like you're coming home and you're doing everything by yourself, which I'm fine with, you know, I'm fine with that. But sometimes you're still human. And I remember I was just feeling so like tired and anxious about going to work, what to wear, how you can put the mask on, is the right mask, like what to do, like. Just so, uh, you know, it wasn't, I was tired. I had time to exercise. I love exercise. I didn't have to, I didn't have time to exercise. I was like, I'm not doing anything to make myself feel good. And I was mm-hmm. frankly, like, not, I was getting tired of like talking about like COVID and medicine. I was like, I'm going to have different conversations, a different group of people. And I want to focus on like um, some self-care. So things were kind of like, like shut down at the time, like lockdown. And it wasn't many things, the places you could go to. So um, I started looking into like different, like facial masks that I could do at home. Just as like five to 10 minutes, like, you know, couple of times a week that I could do just for Tiffany time, like no cell phone, no emails, like just my, my time. And I started using these products, um, Rodana Fields, that's who I'm a consultant with. Um, and I really love them and I love the, the organization and the people I work with. So I ended up joining them and I never thought I would be selling skincare. Um, you said, another God plan. Um, but, um, I've been doing it for over like a year and a half and I love the products. Um, I wish there was a little bit more diversity in it. So I feel like a lot of people don't really know about it. Um, mm-hmm. So I wish it was a little bit more diversity in it because some really great products and things like that. So that's kind of what I do on the side when I'm not doing medicine, when I'm not doing community like engagement stuff or, um, 
you know, quality improvement things. I'm actually, um, you know, doing skincare. So if people want to reach out to you for uh, community work mm. or your skincare, how they how they go about doing that? Yeah, so um, you can reach me. I'm going to give you my, so it's T-C-O-O-K-E, so T-Cook1981 um, at gmail.com. So T-C-O-O-K-E1981 at gmail.com. You got a birthday coming up, huh? Ah, uh, in February. Yeah. They, they, they seem to be coming faster and faster. Trust me, I know. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that, but I'd rather be above ground than below. I'm just Pisces thrilled. or Aquarius? Say it again. Pisces or Aquarius? I'm a Pisces. February 25th. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, oh no. But yeah, you know, we're a special. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Well, I'm an Aquarius on January 30th. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. But you guys uh, are fine. Yeah, I don't, I've had many good experiences with Aquariuses. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no gray area with Aquarius. People really, really love you or they really don't. Okay, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's, gotcha. it's, it's not too many fringe people. It's like, oh, he's cool. No, yeah. I can't stand him or I take a bullet for that guy. Gotcha. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's either end of the spectrum. It's either end of the spectrum. Yeah. How, how long do you want? Do you want to just the rest of your career, doctor? Or is there is there a point where you, you you've are because you you strike me as the I've planned out the next thirty years person. Yeah, I am. I'm very type. I know. I told you I'm very type A. Um, yeah. so I'm trying to retire by the time I'm fifty five. Um, okay. I do want to see the world. Like I have have had various experiences in life and um encounters where tomorrow's not promised. So this is a part of who I am, but um, it's not who I am. Like a hundred percent. So like it's a part of my life, but it's not my life. So. Ideally, what I would love to do is actually um, either be a part of like an organization or a community health center, either one, and really kind of ramp up um, how do we improve community efforts. So I would do like some clinical, maybe like once a week. And the Mm -hmm. rest, ideally, I would love to do like more of just working on quality improvement, research, community driven research. um, How do we can do how we can do things better for people who look a little bit like me? That's what's up. Um, Mm -hmm. And if nobody has told you today, I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I I do appreciate that. I try to make sure I I'm proud of you too. Huh? I, I, I haven't done anything, but I'll take it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but just showing up, but that's not true. You know what? And I will tell you this. I so when when I am on service, when I go to the hospital, you know, one of the things I'm a big um proponent of is just um being stating where you are and sometimes just showing up is is, is a lot. Depending on the day, like I tell them all the time, my best is gonna be different every day. Some days you may get 130%. Some days I'm becoming like, oh my gosh, I'm, I only can give 85. Um, but whatever that is, as long as you're giving your best and you're showing up, that's a win. Yeah, that is a win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I got to thank your brother too. Yeah, he's, this we was, just, this was very go ahead. Dope. This yeah. is very dope. Say it again. I said, this was very dope. It was. No, he's, it's, it's so weird. We all grew up, um, and I would have to, my dad passed away like, t- so my, he's a junior. My dad was a senior. Okay. And that's how I ended up. So I trained in Chicago. I trained on the south side of Chicago, UFC, University of Chicago, amazing place. I'm doing amazing things. And we passed away from lung cancer like 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago in June. And I ended up coming back to the East Coast. Um, but we all have done very, and, I, and I, we've been very like, we all from the same household, all from like the same like area. And we've all, my sister works for, this is her, my my niece is her daughter. She works for the Secret Service. Um she, we all have very like different, like different jobs and different things. Yo, that's crazy right there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ask no questions because I don't want to show up in my door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's for 
yeah, so I'm watching her now because she's working. So she, you know, that's where that community comes in. Like, you know, even though like you know it's a little bit taxing, you have to go out your way sometimes. You know, Alexa, who's my niece, she's going to see these things in front of her. So she sees already these role models of what I can do, who I can be, how to be strong in yourself, how to how to be scared and still walk at the same time. Because a lot of times you are scared. I always say, you know, it's okay to be scared. And how to walk and make a move, um, you know, and, you know, how to make faith-driven faith decisions. Um, so with that, you know, with that being said, like, I think that it's important that we see that. I'm really big on that. We got to mentor. We got to get back. They have to see this. Yeah. They have to have a reason why. Um, and once they see it, it's obtainable. It's something they can do. Um, it's our job to do that. Nobody's going to do that for us. And we're waiting for people to save us. We have to save ourselves. And speaking of scare, what's your biggest fear as a physician? Hmm. Biggest fear. I think it's always the um the thought that like a decision you make uh may have like 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 terrible consequences. I think that every time you go through your every time you make a decision, it's a decision that, you know, if did I make the right decision? Yeah. And could this if I didn't do the right decision, what are the, what are the consequences of this potentially? I think that always um goes through your head no matter how long you've been doing it for. There are certain things that when you see, it just spikes up, and it should fight. You should be scared if you're not. Yes. If you're walking in, you're too confident. Yes. If you're if you're if you're practicing and you're never scared. You're never getting a tap tap. You're too confident. Do something else. That's never good. Yes, mm -hmm. I tell young nurses that all the time. When it, if you don't go home sometimes and yep. worry about the day you had, yep, do something else. You need to do something else. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and being able job to learn. But it is what it is. Say it again. It's a, it's a fucked up job hazard, but it is what it is. It is, it is, but it, it keeps you, but it keeps you grounded, and it keeps you wanting to be better. Once you stop wanting to be better, wanting to stop learning from you, we all make mistakes. Somebody's perfect. Stop yeah. learning from your mistakes. Um, how you could have done things better. Um, then that's a loss. You're losing. The patient's losing. You're doing them a disservice. But as and parents know, patients know when you're genuine. They know when you're trying your best. They know when you're showing up. When you're advocating for them, that you know they, they don't always expect you to have the exact right answer all the time, right away. It's not the way life works. But they mm -hmm. want to know that you're advocating for them. You're in their corner. You're trying their best. You're giving them options. You're talking to them. They're in part of that decision process. That's what matters. Like, and, and studies have shown that. Like, as far as litigation and everything else, P people know when you've been genuine, when your heart is, when you're genuinely there, genuinely there, and genu genuinely their advocate. How old before you tap out of being a? pediatric patient so it depends on the um on the setting so at the mm -hmm. hospitals i work at if you still see a, a pediatrician at like age 21 then we can still see you um it depends on, on certain settings um and urgent care sometimes if they have a chronic condition that's still managed by let's say they have, they have a rare pediatric cardiac cardiac condition mm -hmm. and it's still managed by like the cardiac like the cardiac team then you can you can still see them at 23 24 um so it depends on what the background is, chronic conditions, the institution you're working at, um, and all those things. So I would say 21 is probably the max typically. But we do get a rare patient who may have like a, I don't know, a rare thing that's like 23, 24. You may um, have to kind of see them in consultation with their specialist. Wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it would. I, that's, a little bit, like... that's a little bit. I'm not, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone. I really don't like past 18. In fact, I really don't like past. I don't like once you get to like 15, 18, those are the tricky ages, like adolescents. Um, I, once I get past 18, I'm kind of like, okay, you need to be on your way to the adult service. But um, <laughs> you never can refuse a patient and you're always happy to help. So why, why can't you? Why can't you say, well, not necessarily refuse the patient as an institution, mm -hmm. but as a personal physician, say, you know what? I can't, I can't rock with you. 
I'm I'm gonna let Doctor So and So do this. I mean, you're so different. So you you I mean you I mean you could like you really could you you you, you theoretically could. Um, but it's a way you kind of go about that. So it's not mm -hmm. saying you never say I, you know, I'm not gonna see you. I'm refusing to see you. But it's more of saying you know what, you're like 23. I know you still see you know P So and So. Uh, but I think we have to collaborate here. Maybe have some adult colleagues come in see you talk to your primary specialist and kind of work from there. Our kids getting worse. Like just, just as far as like just bad. I think as a culture in general, I think that things like I look at kids now, I'm like wow, like I would have never like said that as a kid. Um, I think it's just a, as a as a cult, it's just a different culture. I have to be very honest with you. I don't want to say it's bad, um, but I think there's a sense of of comfort. There's a sense uh, of I don't want to say what entitlement, but um. You can say it. It's a comfort. It's a sense of being, you know, maybe somewhat entitled, um, maybe not having to struggle as much, um, not um, seeing the reality of, of, the, of the, how different parts of the, the country uh, work, uh, different parts of the world work. Um, I think that has changed a little bit. I think the household dynamics has changed a little bit in regards to, like, the hierarchy and what's going on and the format. You know, I look, you know sometimes I listen to certain conversations, like, wow, like, and you, like, you're walking away, like, I would probably be like on the ground, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, but you know, and I think there is, and to me, I think it's a, a little bit of a like, kind of respect thing, but that, I, I grew up very old school. I grew up very like, you know, like my mom and dad had company, like you left the room, like what were you sitting around for? You know, it's like, you know, you're like that's where I grew up. But when somebody asked you a question as an adult, it was always yes. Um, you know, I just kind of grew up in a different, like, you know, uh, household where this is kind of what was for dinner. There are no choices. If you're not allergic to it, we're going to eat it, you know, like, and I thank God for that because it just gives me like gave me so much structure, mm -hmm. and it prevented me, prevented me from making decisions that I wouldn't have the insight to know at 16, 17. What do you know? You think you know? Like, but you, that's where your parent comes in to help guide you. So I yeah. thank God for that. Yeah. Um, but I just grew up in a different kind of household where things were just like you know, very structured, and you were going to go to work, you're going to get a job, you're going to go to school. Which one was it going to be? Like it was very structured. And I just thank God for the, for that opportunity. You know. Well, they did a great job. Yeah. Thanks. I I think they did too. Yeah. And we had, we definitely had this function soon. No, no, no family's perfect, but again, it's, it's being able to combat those um, negative or maybe like adversities with um, things that make you more resilient. And my my mom and dad really did, I think, a great job at just kind of exposing us to other potentials out there. Like I was, I, I did a show for the hospital for Black History Month. Like my mom always took us out to go. We didn't, we didn't. She said we didn't go food shopping in our, in our area because she knew. You get better options, better quality if you drive 20 minutes down the road or 20 mm. minutes down the highway. And it was that mind frame to seeing things, you know, uh, going different places, seeing different houses, how other people live. Uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily that the trash on the street, things like that. Like, you know, so that exposure of what, what you yeah. could have and what's out there. And I yeah. thank God for that. She always thought, thought outside the box like that. You know, even now, like I go home to visit, we're driving 30 minutes out, you know, we're going to do anything. You know, she just taught us that because you're going to get better when you go out. Because unfortunately, there's a disparity in the groceries you get, the, the services you get, um, the, the, the things you see but in, yes. in, in a lot of our neighborhoods. So you got to be smart enough to say, hey, listen, I got to go around this because this is what you're giving me. Um, and that's what makes me frustrated is that, you know, as um, and even in school, like, you know, I can almost guarantee our public schools wasn't as good as certain other no. neighborhoods as zip codes. Absolutely. But then some of our kiddos don't want to go and get the minimum. So how do you build upon anything if you're not getting at least the minimum? You're getting the minimum. I'm going to yeah. tell you that right now. So now you tell me you don't want to do this. So what do you have to build on? Mm. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Grab the minimum, run with it. You grab the minimum, you run with it, you build on it. Absolutely. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, on that note, 
I know you got a lot of things to do. You're a busy woman. I want to say thank you for your time. Um, awesome. No, I had a great time. This is very chill. This is probably the most uh, relaxed conversation I've ever had. So thanks. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, I try to make sure I put our people in the best light possible. I like it. No, I do too. I, like I said, I feel like there's so many negative things going on. Nobody's talking about all the positives. So yeah. there are positive things going on everywhere. And I'm fully aware of the politics of hospitals. So I try to, you know, I don't want to put you where you have to go to work and somebody's like, well, uh, rewind that, Bob. Yeah. No, I, don't, I don't, I don't, no, I'm not going to, you don't, you don't have to worry about that with me. Yeah. Um, no, I appreciate that. No, I do appreciate that. But I think that that would be my, I, I, I stand true on those three things. It would be more just identifying with the population around you, diversifying staff. Um, and then the struggle is how do we do that? How do we get people into medicine? How do we retain them? I mean, it's, that's a whole system process, another conversation in itself. Like, you know. Well, you are the start. That, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You better so. believe it. But all of us are. That's the thing. Everybody has a, a part to play in this. Everybody has even put that thought and idea of some, in somebody's head. Like, wow, like, you know, you did that? Like, wow, these are things that you could be. Add this on the list. Well, I have grandkids. Mm -hmm. And if any of them at any point are interested in medicine, you're going to be the first person I look up. For sure, for sure. I'm excited. No, I'm always, I'm always here. I, I do a couple of mentoring programs every summer. Um, mm. That's been really interesting because that's what it's all about. Again, it's not about me. Um, it's about how do we make this uh, continuum for transgenerational. Like that's what it's about at this point in time. And what we don't realize is that the 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 most be selfish. And and, and when I say that is that these kids, you're gonna need these kids when yep. your ass is in the sling. Yep. When you get it's older. And you need healthcare on a more continuous basis. Yep. It's not going to be your the people you grew up with taking care of you. You better believe it. <laughs> you better believe it. I, and I your think that with that peers. And that's why this exposure come. I think that with that being said, I think that um, just speaking of that, I think that like the, the didactics of medical school has to change a little bit in regards mm -hmm. to being part of the communities that you're in. I think that that's an important part right there. Like getting to be know the community that you're serving that you're in, not just you know going there, going home. It becomes just a thing that you do. That's a problem. So the people, yeah. the doctors you want, the nurses you want, the techs you want, the um, physical therapists you want, you want them to be intimate um, with your experience yes. and who you are. That is very much a part of that in the community. Is being in that community, being intimate, is part, a large part of your outcome and your life, large part of your care. Um, and shout out to Nate. Nate been tapped in the whole time. Oh, is he here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, hey, man. Oh, you call him Nate. Yeah, I'm sorry. What'd you say it was again? Maine? I think it was Maine. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to text him. What's up, Maine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's doing some good things. I didn't know he was on here. Yeah, he's been on the whole time. You know, okay. make, make sure I treat his sister right. You know, okay. So. Hey, Maine. <laughs> <laughs> oh on that note, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. Um, I great Again, I greatly appreciate your time, your energy, and your wisdom. Awesome. And no, we have to do if this again. Anything I can ever do for you, please don't hesitate to, to let me know. You know I will. <laughs> In triplicate. <laughs> I know you got tired of hearing from me. I kept, I kept coming back with stuff. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, bruh, nobody's asked me this many questions before. Like, I'm yeah. not sure what this like. I'm a laid back conversationalist. Yeah, and I'm like, I want this agenda. Like, I know. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, like I don't. Especially when it's kind of something I know about, <laughs> right? Like right, if it right. was something that I'm unfamiliar with, then then yeah, I have to do a little bit more, you right. know, put, right. do an outline or whatever. 
but I like to just have conversations based on things I know. I agree. No, this I is great. Don't know. This is great. No, you let me know if we can collaborate too. If there's anything going on, like you know, collaboration wise or uh, community outreach or things that you're kind of concerned about, um, let me know. I would like to do like some uh some roundtable discussions with some medical professionals. So if you know That's some awesome. sisters and brothers that are down with it, That'd be please awesome. let me know. That'll be awesome. Yeah, and awesome. I'm always open. So I appreciate that. I'm, I'm down. I'm already in. Well, I, I I know what it's like to almost die. Yeah. So do I. So, a, couple, a couple of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shit changes me. That's another story. Yeah, that's a testimony. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that one later. All right. All On right, that note, guys, you have everybody. a good God one. And, and tell your niece, I said, have a good one, too. Bye, Lexi. Bye, Lexi. <laughs> Bye. Peace. Yo, um, that was a beautiful conversation. Shout out to Dr. Dr. Cook. Um, again, this has been brought to you by M3S3 Clothing. Men make moves and suckers stand still. And I got to give a huge shout out to Cesario, who made me a theme song for the show. That was so fucking dope, bruh. I cannot possibly thank you enough. He didn't ask me for anything. I woke up one morning and there was a theme song in my email. Shout out to you. Shout out to GMG in the UK um, for putting together the intro video. Man, it has been just a it's just been a really good year. Shout out to the Nerve DJs, man. Um, DJ Johnny O, shout out to you, brother. Thanks for giving me a bigger platform to do my thing. On that note, uh, this is Jobs, and this has been another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio.